1: We have David Olds with me here today. David, I really appreciate your time. I want to make sure everybody has your contact information and you got to help David out. He's trying to build his Instagram page. You've maxed out Facebook and a few of the other uh, yeah. social networks. so so you got to get ju- jump over there, join him at Instagram at David Olds reI and you can find David at that acronym everywhere, David Olds, REI, and uh, really appreciate your time. But today, this is the episode for everybody who is getting into wholesaling, and now you have a property under contract, and we're going to be strictly talking about disposition, how you're going to get this sold and make some money at it, and uh, whether it is uh, getting those bigger fees or selling it quickly. And this is going to be a great episode. I really appreciate your time here, David.
2: Oh, thank you so much for, for having me on. I'm excited to be here.
1: So just to kind of give people a little background, if you haven't heard of David, he's been around for quite a while. In fact, before the last financial collapse in 2007, yeah. 2008, 2009. Um, uh, so uh, this is really going to be a treat. Uh, I really appreciate and value your experience.
2: Cool. Yeah. Um, I'm one of the few people that have been around like before the, the last crash. And I don't know if we have one coming up or not. I don't know that anybody ever knows. What I can tell you is from the last one, when we were in the heart of it, we were like the top of the the uh, the curve there. Like nobody ever knows when you're in the middle of, of a recession or when it's starting to happen. Right. It just you just feel like things are slowing down a little bit. But in hindsight, you can look back and go, oh, well, that's why that house didn't sell for as much as I thought it would have. Um so yeah, yeah, I, I actually started in the Orlando market. In 2002, uh, my wife and I bought our first house, we fixed it up. And uh, we sold it two years later and made like, like 57 or $58,000. And the uh, realtor told me after the closing, like, that's your money, it's tax free. I was just stunned at, uh, at the idea that I didn't have to pay taxes on, you know, $50,000. So um, you know, we sold a house, we went and bought another house, an uh, uh, ugly house in a beautiful neighborhood, which is which is the ideal situation. And two and a half years later, we sold that one and made a little over a 100000 So, and of course, we were doing the fix up and, you know, all those things ourselves. And we had full-time jobs at the time. Um, but yeah, we just sort of got into that pattern in Florida. And um, like, it's so cliche, almost every real estate investor out there, a person you talk to, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I was standing at the airport just killing some time and and pulled this book off the shelf and, you know, 10 pages in, I was just captivated and and bought it and went home and just burned through it. And at the end, he says, uh, Kiyosaki says, you know, if you want to be in real estate, go find a real estate investment group, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm not that smart, but I'm really good at following directions. So you know, I I went online and searched around and I found the uh, Central Florida uh, Real Estate Investors Group, which is one of the biggest ones in the country, I found out later. And uh, yeah, I, just, I joined that and just kind of got myself immersed in real estate and you know all the courses and classes and boot camps and did some mentorship and some coaching. And uh, we got really good at flipping houses in uh, Central Florida in the mid-2000s. And probably not because we were great, right? The market was crazy, stupid, hot. I tell people like a dog could put a, a sign in the front yard and sell the house. It wasn't I mean, I think we did a good job, but it wasn't because we were so so talented. The market was just on fire. Um, and like I said, I worked for ProBuild at 84 Lumber, so I was in building material sales. And my wife, was uh, she worked for Ashton Woods Homes, which is a large custom builder. So she was in our purchasing department. And in our, our company at 84, our ProBuild at the time like, so we're dealing with big, big builders, right, all the time. And they've have, they have what's called a spec sheet, right? So maybe, you know, this particular model gets five and a quarter inch baseboard and big crown and, you know, all these types of things. Well, as things were slowing down, we were getting these orders, oh, we're going to change the three and a quarter baseboard. What they were doing was they were changing the specs on their models so that they could save some money because sales were starting to go down. So that was something like if you're in the eye of the hurricane, that's that's like maybe a little indicator that we saw, but we had no idea that it was going to drop you know, 25, 30, 35, 40%, you know, over the course mm-hmm. of six months. It was just, it was, Florida was a terrible place to be <laughs> during, mm-hmm. during, uh, 2000, you know, eight, nine and 10. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, we knew, we knew something was happening. We knew it was getting harder to, you know, to sell houses, um, little by little as, you know, as we went over 2007, eight, nine, it started getting more difficult. So we were looking around and we, we were looking at different markets and we picked Chattanooga, Tennessee. And the reason we picked it is the, uh, the, we did some market research. Uh, sales had been relatively stable. They'd only dropped maybe 8 to 10%, which is, was really good compared to what was going on nationwide. And one of the bad things about Florida, right, is the economy is based on three things there. It's uh, construction, right? That makes sense. A lot of construction there. Tourism, Disney, you know, tourism. And the other one is, is agriculture and um, cattle. Right? You wouldn't believe cattle is one of the, the big things and our Florida is one of the biggest cattle producing states in the country. So you got to imagine it's like a three legged stool. Right. Well, construction goes and then tourism goes because the whole country was in a recession. <clears throat> so that's what caused the, the collapse to be so severe in a place like Florida. So when we were looking at other markets to, to move to, we were really aware of, of looking at like the economic indicators. Um, so Chattanooga was a relatively small market. Um, centrally located, so it's like a trucking hub, but it's also one of the things that brought it to our attention was they were just opening up a Volkswagen plant here, right? So adding twenty thousand jobs into a county that has two hundred twenty-five thousand people is a big number, right? So not only that, but you get all those ancillary positions, you know, the the you know the suppliers, and and now you're bringing extra people here, so rents go up, and you know all the other indicators were were right there for us. Um, but along with that, there's a good tech se- sector here. Um, and Chattanooga was the first city in the country to have uh, to be a, a gig city, which means everybody in the city has access to fiber optic. So, anyways, a lot of things happened. And we started and we moved to Chattanooga. We knew one person, a realtor that we kind of knew that we'd come up once and looked at some houses. But we, we did that. You know, if you ever hear that story about burning the boats and leaving everything behind you and going to a new city, like we did that. That was 100% what we did. We came here for real estate. And uh, you know, we, we just worked really hard and found a way to make it work.
1: Yeah, that's, that was a great information. And, and you spent a little time on that. So I'm, I'm wondering if uh, you're seeing similar signs today that, that spurred some of those thoughts.
2: I tell you, I'm not. Um, so what was different back then? Of course, lending was all over the, all over the map, right? Anybody could get a loan. Um, you know, Waitresses were buying four $400,000 houses. Um, because there was no lending criteria. Well, they fixed a lot of that after the last time. So now lending is pretty tight, right? You've got to have at least a 650, 700 score to go out and get a house. We're not seeing all those arms, those adjustable rate mortgages, right? Those are gone. And I think what happened, and again, I'm not an economist, but i I've talked to a lot of bankers. I had a bank president here the other day. And so in my like caveman understanding of things. So you know, at the end of the end of the last decade, we had the recession, right? So what happens is everything contracted, right? Builders weren't building, um, new land wasn't being developed, like everything really slowed down for four or five years, right, certainly until 2014, 2015. And then people started to ramp back up. Right? During the last recession, you also had a bunch of kids coming out of college with a ton of student debt, so they weren't able to buy houses, right? Well, so now you've got this this pent up demand and there's a lack of housing, and people are still having babies, right? Population is still growing. So I think we just had this pent up, just bubble, I don't know, bubble's not the right word, balloon, right? Maybe um, of just people that were going to start to need houses. Um, so I think that's a lot of what we've got now. And to me, I don't, I, I, I think we'll plateau at some point, but I don't think we'll crash like we did before. I just don't think, it just doesn't feel like the same indicators are there,
1: Right.
2: but again, Whoever we'll know in ten years. That's when we'll know. Then we'll know who. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So the one good thing about wholesaling is, and that's why wholesaling is great for any any market cycle. Right? Cycles go up and down, and the typical cycles anywhere from five to seven years. Is that in wholesaling we're in and out really quick, right? Hopefully, renting out of a property, we average fifty one days from contract to closing, right? So there's not massive shifts in the market in fifty one days. Where it's a little different if you're if you're rehabbing right now. Like we, we just started rehab two weeks ago. Like we're real, like we're, we're, we're moving people along. I mean, I don't think it's going to drop, but I also don't want to get caught with, you know, a quarter million dollar rehab um, out there, you know, and get stuck with it. So, but yeah. So the one, the great thing about wholesaling is your, your exposure to risk is pretty low.
1: You know? Sure. Well, you know, let's, let's jump into the category then here, the disposition. You know, yeah. uh, a lot of people, they get into wholesaling for the first time because it's it's almost, uh, I, I hate to say this, but a lot, of, a lot of people get into it because they think it's going to be easy. And then they, they think it's, this is, this is one of those things that a lot of uh, uh, gurus, if you will, they hear it on podcasts and they see it in books and they see it in infomercials, how to get into real estate with little to no money down. You know, sure, um, so so I I can understand how it, it's attractive to a lot of people. Um in I'm the end though. It. No, go ahead. go ahead.
2: Um, yes, the great thing about wholesaling is it's a super low barrier to entry. The bad thing about wholesaling is it's a super low barrier to entry, and we get a lot of people that are that are knuckleheads. Um, but yes, absolutely, right? Like sign up for my course. It's easy. You can sit at home and do virtual wholesaling in your underwear and never talk to anybody.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's
2: no, not true. I, I mean, I will tell you, we are we we wholesale virtually across the country, and it's far harder to do virtual wholesaling than it is to wholesale in your local market, right? And, and the analogy I give people is like if you were like a like a high school wrestler and you were just strong, like you can muscle your way through something, right? It's your own city. You know people. You can call. You can you can just make stuff happen, right? But when you're remote. And you're not dealing. You're not in front of that seller, and you've got to send somebody over to take pictures. And it's just like your processes all have to be really good. And if they're not, it's going to expose whatever weaknesses in your company. Um, You know, whatever you're not good at is going to get exposed when you go virtual. So I don't ever recommend people do that first. You know, go do 20 deals in your own market if you can. Right. If you live in a small town, then you've just got no choice. Um, You know, just try to learn from somebody good. But um, if you're in a city, that's that. You know, you've got 150, 200,000 people in, you can wholesale there. You know, if there's an active RIA, you've got some, some interested investors. I would always recommend start there. Um, but listen, everybody's different. Maybe there are people that are smarter than me.
1: So so we're going to fast forward a little bit here to yeah. the whole p- process of disposition. Yeah. Um, and uh, for a lot of that information, you might want to check out David's uh, training, which is at DispoREI.com. And again, uh, follow David on his Instagram at uh, David Olds R E I, and uh, I understand that that's your your moniker on all of the socials, so it's easy for people to find you.
2: Yeah, I, luckily I have a unique enough name that I was able to grab that at YouTube and LinkedIn and you know and all of them. But uh, but yeah, so so dispositions, right? Um, so the biggest lie in real estate is this: if you have a good deal, it will sell. And that's at the end of every guru course, right? If it's a good deal, it will sell. And, you know, for a long time, I I had a partner at one point and I handled just solely the disposition side. So I'm every day, right? I'm always out there looking for resources and new things. And there's nothing out there for, for dispositions to help people. There's not maybe a random video here and there, but there's no organized course of here's how you do it. Here are the things you should do. Here are the things you shouldn't do that will waste your time. Um... So we really set out to to kind of put all of that information together in an easy to understand course, course manner, you know, and we also have a a mastermind that goes with it. Um, But anyway, so we we talk about, you know, wholesaling, real estate in general, there's always two ways to do it, right? You could be the guy who's like the mad scientist and you've probably had guys on your podcast and and I've got friends like this who are so smart and they do these crazy off the wall complicated type transactions and that's fantastic, right? If you're that guy, like all, the, all the, the applause goes to you. However, if you're going to scale your business, you can't scale with that kind of model. It's gotta be very streamlined and, and easy to understand. And that's what we've created. Basically our Dispo course came out of people coming to us and saying, hey, how do you Dispo so many properties across the country? So we basically took the process that we use for our own team here here in Chattanooga in our office and we put that into a course, but um, but yeah, it's it's a very straightforward, easy to understand course. I guess I'm I'm probably doing a terrible job of explaining it.
1: No, and and I'm glad that you brought that up because I have actually have heard multiple people say those exact words. If you find the deal, the money will come, whether it's through sales or no. or or investment or what have you. And um, I have just. Speaking from experience, uh, I find that I've, I spend almost as much time building my buyer's list and and getting that stuff figured out as I do finding the property.
2: Hundred percent. So, what do you do when you when you get a new property lead and it's in Philadelphia and you've never sold anything in Philadelphia, right? Well, the process to build the list is relatively simple, but if you don't have that step by step of of how you do this, um, it's going to be a problem, right? But just that idea of oh, I've got you know. You've got a contract it's going to sell. I tell people, like, a contract sitting on my desk could be the greatest contract ever, right? It could be a million-dollar house that I have under contract for a dollar, but i still got to get it out there and get it in front of people, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that we really learned and honed by going through that last recession because, you know, during 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, like, there was, you could buy property all day long. You could go, go down any street and just find vacant properties, but the issue was who are you going to sell it to, right? Because there were no, there weren't as many investors as there are now, right? A good market brings out a frenzy of people wanting to buy real estate. So in doing that, we learned how to be really great, really great at selling our properties. Um, so you transition that to today and people say, well, it's a hot market. I can be, I should be able to sell anything, right? Because my guru told me that if it's a good deal, the money will follow. Um, here's the thing. Like if you're doing any kind of active wholesaling and you've got any kind of business where you're, where you're, you know, marketing and putting things under contract every week, here's the truth. I'm going to tell you, you know, I've done a thousand deals. Not every deal is a unicorn, right? Mm-hmm. Not every deal is that perfect three-bedroom, two-bath, you know, brick rancher in the best part of town with a good school district, right. right? If that's what you're looking for, I mean, that's like being in the major leagues and, and every time you go up to swing, you know, you're looking for a triple or better just doesn't happen, right? So you're going to get properties in, I mean, you know, maybe it's not an A property, but it's, you know, it's a solid B minus, right? It's something we can make eight or 12 grand on. So understanding how to, you know, if you don't understand the dismal process and how to get in front of the right buyers, who are going to pay the most and how to market it to get in front of a lot of people, um, you're you're just going to struggle with those. And I have people that come to us every day, like today, I got an email from a wholesaler, hey, I've got these four properties, I just can't seem to move them. Well, your numbers look good. What have you been doing? Well, I posted it on Facebook Marketplace. I'm like, oh, of all the places to post, that's probably the worst place that that you could put a deal, right? So, so yeah, just having a good a, a good deal, or even what you think is a good deal, right? Because that's the problem too. A lot of new wholesalers don't even understand what what's a good deal, what's a bad deal. But let's assume you've got a good deal. That deal sitting on your desk, or that one post that you put on Craigslist, probably isn't going to sell that deal, right? Mm-hmm and And if you you post it in one place and you get a call that one person wants to beat you up you know from sixty thousand down to forty five and you're like, oh, I'll make five thousand, I'll just take it boy if you'd had ten people calling you about that deal, now you've got some competition, right So now mm-hmm. you get into that bidding type stuff or at least where you don't feel like you need to take a discount on your assignment fee.
1: So where does a person start like how do you how do you build that buyer's list that and, and you start generating that?
2: so, Here's one thing that we that we teach, and I teach my employees this. I mean, every single person in our company that we train, I draw this, and my girls always make fun of me because it's always crooked on the on the on my whiteboard is a is a timeline. And at the beginning is lead generation, at the end is closing, right? Now every single person in our company understands why we're here, right? So we start with the end in mind. We are all here to cash checks. The company has to cash a check, company cash a check, you get paid, lights stay on, we can buy fancy computers and, and do everything, right? So um the first thing somebody wants needs to understand is who who is going to buy this property right Mm -hmm. um or even before that if you're going to start doing lead gen where do you need to be marketing well you need to be marketing in places where people are buying right so i tell a story like we, we had a property in anderson alabama i think i looked it up the other day it was like 247 people or 246 people in anderson alabama I told the acquisitions person, like, who am I going to sell this to? One of the other 245 people in town, you know, the odds of finding a buyer there are, are super, super slim. So, I mean, in general rules, I would tell you that don't be marketing in places with less than 150,000 people. Right. Cause it's just going to be hard. I'm not saying you can't do a deal there. Right. I never say can't. Right. Cause, cause there'll always be somebody who can, you know, who will, who will defy that or, you know, but Wholesaling is a speed business. We, we want the low hanging fruit, right? We want to be in and we want to be out. So, so I don't purposely like to just beat myself on the head with a, with a two by four just to sell a deal. So, I would start in markets where there's 150,000 people, right? If you want to be um, um, even more strategic, you can go into list source, pull a list of cash buyers in, let's say, Mecklenburg County, which is Charlotte, right? And I can pull that and I can sort them by zip code. So, then I, if I'm doing some type of outbound, like telecommunications, texting, cold calling, something like that, at least the list I pull can be isolated to to the zip codes where there are going to be a lot of cash buyers, right? Doesn't that make sense? A story that I tell people all the time is if I was to, if I was to open an ice cream truck, right? I'm gonna have an ice cream truck, I'm gonna drive around and sell ice cream. Well, like I really like chocolate ice cream. I'm a big boy. I love like love me some chocolate ice cream. And if I go out with my with my ice cream truck, and like sure some people buy buy chocolate, but a lot of them want pistachio reason I don't have pistachios is because I'm allergic to nuts. But gosh darn it, if that's what people want, that's what I'm selling, right? So that's how you have to treat your wholesale business. You need to understand the people who want deals, where they're at and what they're buying, right? Mm -hmm. So do a little bit of research on your market. What zip codes are they buying? Take those zip codes. What's the average price, right? Um, You know, pull the cash buyers list. What are cash buyers paying over there? Um, So that we do that. Like before we enter a new market... We do a little bit of research to make sure this market makes sense, right? Because we're spending real dollars, right? Whether it's pay-per-click or texting or cold calling or whatever it is, like those are real dollars that are coming out of my wallet. So I want to make sure we're spending it as smart as we can. Does that make sense?
1: Yep, it does. And you know, as, you, as you're developing your list and understanding that, that probably helps with the speed of sale.
2: Sure. Sure. So let's just, you go through all of that and you, you're a great negotiator and you get something under under contract. At its most basic level, if, if you need to build a cash buyer's list quick, go to PropStream, right? Put in, put in your property's address, go out three miles, pull a list of cash buyers that have bought within the last six months. You'll get a list of 100 people, right? Super simple. Anybody could do this. It's the most rudimentary way of, of building a buyer's list. Skip trace them. You could skip trace them right through PropStream. Take those people, cold call them, text them, um, you know that will get the bulk of, I mean, those are real buyers, right? Those are people from public record that bought a property for cash within the last six months. So those are your best likely buyers. Um, beyond that, Facebook groups are amazing. Not Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> Facebook Marketplace is going to get you a ton of responses that say, I'm interested. And you're going to chase your tail for, for three weeks answering those people. And they are people looking for rent to own or some, someplace to live for themselves or their daughter. They're not cash buyers. Um, but no, go in and, and be interactive in, you know, the Charlotte Investors Group or, you know, Mecklenburg County or, you know, Charlotte or North Carolina Investors, whatever, Um, get into those groups, but you have to present a good product, right? Don't just say, I've got a three bedroom on, you know, Oak Street that I'm selling, right? I mean, we're a marketing company. All of us are. Like our business isn't real estate. We're marketers. So we want to do good marketing to get leads into the funnel. We want to do a good job closing them, but we have to sell those deals. And uh, marketing is... One hundred percent, our job.
1: Right. So then, how do you uh, how do you go about maximizing your profits? I've, I see a lot of wholesalers just kind of putting their markup on it, and trying to and taking the first buyer. Is that yeah. the process that you typically? No,
2: not at all. So again, we everything we do, we start with the end in mind, right? So even my acquisitions people understand that Bob, who's going to buy this property. Right, Bob needs to buy it at a number that makes sense to him, that he can rehab it, and that he can re- add closing costs, which people always ten percent. People seem to always forget, um, and he can sell it at a profit. Right, so acquisitions needs to understand the way that dispositions is going to sell this property, because once they understand that, well, now they know they have to get the property at sixty-two thousand instead of eighty thousand. Right, because just putting something under contract for your acquisitions team. Like they feel like that's a win, but it's not a win if it's not a sell contract. And that's the thing that I see the most, the most is, you know, gosh, they, they said they'd sign this contract at, at 80,000. I really know I need to be at 70, but I'm going to take it. I'm like, well, you can, if you're looking, if you just need practice of talking to people, um, you know, and you know, you want to just run something by buyers. But What happens is you get, you, you will get a bad reputation in, in your community. You know, we've had wholesalers here in Chattanooga that, I mean, they just, the deal goes out, the deal goes out. And every time it goes out at a price range and all you're doing with our price reduction, all you're doing with that is training your buyers to know that you're probably starting out high, just trying to gouge them. And, uh, you know, you're going to drop drop the, uh, drop the price. So people will just wait you out. Um, but the best way, the best way to, so to answer your question, I'm sorry. So when you're pricing it on the disposition side, right? We want to look at what similar type properties have sold for for cash, Right. So if I run the comps and I see that all my low comps are kind of in that range of, you know, this this three bedroom two bath house or three bedroom one bath that was built anywhere between 1950 and 1965, you know, they all feel like they're selling about, you know, 72,000, right, to cash buyers. So what that tells me is if I can be out there at 70, right, I have a winner. Right? I don't need to know what the rehab budget was or how much somebody's going to spend, because I know houses like these in this neighborhood are selling at this amount for cash. So that's my barometer, right? I just know that I, if my acquisitions team understands that, if they know 70 is the target, well, if we could be at 45 or 50, like we're in the money. Okay, maybe repairs are a little bit worse and my buyers go out there and say, oh, dude, I really want to buy this, but I need to be at 67. And I don't know if I can do 67, but I might be able to get you at 68. Right, it's still a good day because speed mm-hmm. counts. Right, so right. Um, absolutely understanding what cash buyers want and what they're willing to pay before you put the property under contract will just save you a lifetime of headaches.
1: Sure. So in the end, it's that eight o- old lesson in real estate: you you make your money at your, at the buy and you 100%. get it get it at the right price.
2: Sure. And you know, in all types of wholesaling, whether you're wholesaling in your own city or whether you're virtual, like People will not tell you everything, right? And, and I don't want to say people lie to you, right? Because sometimes people don't know, right? Somebody inherits a house in Connecticut and they're in you know, North Dakota. They are not coming to Connecticut to sell, you know, to, to sell you this house. So maybe they inherited, they've never stepped foot in the house. Um, I have rentals that I went in. I went in a rental on Sunday that I haven't been in in six years because the tenant just moved out. I have no idea what the inside looked like. Thank goodness it was good. But, um, you know, so sometimes that's the case, right? People just don't know. Um, so, you know, I always tell people, your buyer will tell you if you need to go back for a reduction. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: they, they will tell you when they get out there, hey, this number doesn't make sense, right? So,
1: How often have you had to go back and ask for a reduction?
2: Uh, I try not to ever do it. You know, um, I have people that I know that will go back every single time and, and push for like two to $3,000. If you do a 100 deals a year, that's 300,000. Like that's pretty good numbers, right? So I don't do it. Everybody should do their own, run their own business. So what we will do, there's only a couple of reasons why something doesn't sell, right? So you you just made a mistake on the price, right? You just didn't read your comps, right? Um, there was unknown repairs, something that affects the value. So that affects what people will pay. The third reason is, and the most common reason is you just did a bad job marketing, right? Mm-hmm. That's it, right? Any. You just have to be able to come to terms with that and sometimes look at a property after it doesn't sell and go, my goodness, what did we do? <laughs> we, did, we didn't get this done. And and years ago, I used to have this frustration with my team. I'd be like, what are we doing? We have 10 things we should be doing on every property and we're only doing six and never even the same freaking six. We're all over the place, you know, so no wonder this thing didn't sell. Um, so that's why, you know, having a checklist and a process is, is super important, Um but yeah, so how often to go back? Usually what I will do the way that I handle it, let's say I'm under contract at 60 and I'm selling at 80 and something went awry, right? Let's just, something went screwy and we didn't know there was black there or something. Um, if I can get it contracted, my goal is to get it contracted with the end buyer, even at 61, right? So, cause I want to lock him in. Even I'm at 60, 61, like let's lock it in because, hey, you know, again, these are, I always tell people, these are real people, right? Bessie who is selling, She's a real person. The guy who's buying, he's a real person that's going to shell out money out of his pocket for this property. So, so I will lock that person in if I can, and then I will go back and go, "Hey, Bessie or Smith. Hey, I know we talked about this. You know, there were a couple more things than we talked about. You know, I know you probably haven't been up in that attic, but that roof leak, that chimney leak, whatever it is. You know, there's some black mold, and you know, I can get this thing closed, but I need to be at 55. Can we make that Mm. work? know, so I'll do it with the sort of, hey, good news is we can close next Thursday, right? Because I've got a buyer locked in. Bad news is, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I, you know, I need to be at this price to make this work. Can we do that? Most Mm -hmm. of the time they'll say yes, or they'll give you a number. And if not, we're going to close on it and, you know, lesson learned. So um, that's the way that we handle it. The other times are when your offers start coming in at 57, 58, and you're, you're contracted at 60, it gets a little trickier um and what we'll do there is we'll go to the buyer and we're like hey like that's really low let me talk to my partner here's what i'll do like i can go back and and try to see if i can get you this at 68 but like if i call you back we're going to go on the contract today right you're serious you're ready to to wire emd and and sign this contract yes okay and then we'll go back to you know the seller and go hey xyz here are the problems here's where we need to be and we'll Mm -hmm. try to we'll try to get her down to a number where there is at least a little bit of spread. Because again, we want to make the deal work. We're we're that far into it. You know, we may shoot for 20. Maybe we made six at the end. Um, But, you know, we will 100% sit down with our dispo people and acquisitions people and do like a deal review and go, okay, let's listen to the call. Let's look at your notes. Let's look at the feedback from the dispo team. Where where did we just miss here, right? Mm -hmm. So I always tell my team, we will learn way more from a bad deal or a deal where we just had to kill it than we ever will the deal that you made 70 grand on you know because so those just go in and out so fast everybody cheering and celebrating and ringing the gong and you know and off we go
1: so are uh, do you have a target markup on every property or is it do you let yeah. the market decide how, how do you decide your sure, markup? We, we shoot for twenty thousand,
2: and again that's our number i don't some people are more some people are less you know, if you're working in San Francisco, your target is probably 100,000, right? But if you're working in um, Ocala, Florida, maybe your are number six, right? So again, that number is based on us because we have a 4,000 square foot office and, you know, we have a full mm-hmm. office team and some VAs and a lot of software, you know, that's just what our overhead is. So so we'll pass up on some of those marginal deals. Um, like we don't go to Birmingham. Birmingham's a great market. It's similar to Chattanooga 10 years ago, but the spreads are... $4,000, $5,000, right? So by the time we're done, those types of deals don't make sense for us just because of the way we're structured, right? But if mm-hmm. I was to start out tomorrow and be independent and be driving around with a, a notepad and a pen and a, and a cell phone, I would go to Hunts or Birmingham because I would just clean up, right? Because I could just do a lot of deals. Um, so, so that's just for us. We shoot for 20. You know, we're actually mm-hmm. average uh, like 17800 and some change right now. It's what our year-to-date average is.
1: Sure. So in the end, it, it's you you do target a a markup, um, but in the end that's that's frankly negotiable depending on what your buyers are willing to pay It
2: is because here's you know, here's what I in our dispositions team, they want to dig in sometimes, like, I know this is a deal, you know, this should be the price. But here's what I tell them like we're on the we're like the people on laying on the beach, right? So this week acquisition sends us three or four contracts, right? Well, next week. It could be five or it could be two, but there's more coming. And the week after that, more coming. The week after that, more coming. So, you know, we're like the the produce stand. I got to move the old apples out because I have new apples coming in next week. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what happens when you have a fully formed acquisitions and dispositions department is like their job is only to get contracts. And I'm, po- I'm pointing like you can see towards my, towards my acquisitions area and dispositions is back there, but yeah, their job, their only job is to go get contracts, right? So if do marketing, lead gen, talk to sellers, marketing, lead gen, talk to sellers, um, where disposition is only talking to buyers. So um, yeah, we're, we're on the speed plan. So yeah. if it's an acceptable number and, you know, everybody gets paid, paid a commission based here. So we use a split plan, a small base with a, a good commission. So um you know they want to move this property out so they can start on the next one.
1: Yeah, your analogy of the of the fruit is a great is a great one because just yeah. like you said earlier with the with some wholesalers, and you see a, a constant drip as the price keeps dropping. Yeah, um, that's just un unloading uh, vegetables and fruit that's that's eventually going to go bad.
2: Yeah, and and I worked in retail. Gosh, from for twenty years, I was time I was in UMass, I was in retail, and I had a great like first boss. And uh, he taught me this. Always make your first markdown your best markdown. Like you do not have time to keep, keep messing around with this over and over and over again. And again, I've seen it because, you know, I'm, I'm a buyer too, right? I buy from other wholesalers as well. I'm not narcissistic enough to think that only I have the best deals. Um, so yeah, from time to time, we buy wholesale deals from other people. So I do. I watch these emails come through and I'm like, well, just dropped another 4,000. Oh, just dropped 3,000. And uh, we actually did track it for a year. We tracked every, every Chattanooga uh, wholesaler's emails. And we have a list and we had like four columns for all the different price drops. Um, yeah. So anyways, that was a different story because we retargeted them after, after six months, all those people who those deals didn't sell. But uh, yeah, you're, you're definitely just training training people. So I would watch them and I would just wait. Like an hour yeah. after that about third email, I'd call them and go, hey, so I can buy this property if you want. Here's the number. I'm like, oh, I can't do it.
0: Okay,
2: all right. But I let it go about another thirty or forty-five days, and we just call them up ourselves and get the con- property under contract at the right number. Um, so that's, what, that's the way it goes.
1: Yeah. yeah, no, and 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 typically when you start to see price drops like that, what I've I've learned or, or seen is that a lot of people start to think that there's something wrong with the property that they're missing. 100%. So then yeah. then it 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 starts to spoil.
2: It does because yeah, if, and if you email it out every single day. Yeah, yeah, that's you know that's what people exactly what people are going to see. So you know we're pretty judicious. We we want to make sure we're priced correctly and we feel confident about that price. And you know, listen, I'm not telling you we're perfect. Like right? we knock out two or 40000 dollars deals and we start getting a little full of ourselves, right? <laughs> it happens. Even me and I've been doing this for twenty years. I'm like, oh, I think we can push the market on this one, and the market tells you very quickly. It will slap you back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes, the market is hot right now. It's incredibly hot for nice remodeled move-in properties, Um, but it is not as hot for fixer-uppers, right? Like these are investors. These are not idiots, right? Investors are different from homeowners. Homeowners buy on emotion. They want to live here. They like the school district. They like the pool in the backyard. Investors are all about return. Don't be confused. Um, These people know, like they know what their numbers are. Serious investors, right? So they know, you know, they know they're going to buy this for 80, put 50 in it. Um, any one thirty, you know, and it's going to sell for one eighty, right? So they can make twenty or thirty thousand on it. Um, Landlords know. Landlords know what the rent is, so they know what they're buying it at and what their rent multiplier is going to be and how much they can make on these deals. They are not stupid. Don't ever. And I always warn my dispositions people like, don't ever you know like talk down to an investor like, oh, you should buy this because it's a great deal. No, you should buy this. I think it's a deal because of X, Y, and Z right? Provide mm-hmm. some information and some value to these people um, because these people are writing real checks. They're sending real wires. Um, you're not going to bamboozle anybody or use the force to trick them into buying some property.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I have like two more questions for you, but before we uh, do that is we're going to uh, send everybody to your uh, Instagram page again. That's so awesome. let's check out David Olds, REI. Uh, help uh, David out there. Uh, he's maxed yeah. out his Facebook page, so I don't know if you can take any more followers there. But yeah. definitely check out Instagram. Um, so, uh, looking back on your your career now in real estate investing, if, knowing what you know now, what is uh, one lesson that uh, you wish you could tell yourself oh, when you first started? One
2: hundred percent. One hundred percent. I had a conversation with somebody at breakfast today. I would have bought and held more properties.
1: I hear that more than any other oh, piece of feedback.
2: I like, I lay in bed just thinking about if I could go back in time and buy more stuff. And, you know, the, the people in chat, like in my market, Chattanooga here that have been investors for a long time, it's a pretty small group, right? Maybe there's six or eight of us. And we'll go to lunch and, and we'll talk about, uh, oh, I'm selling this deal over in, you know, Orchard Knob area. And it's, I'm getting 70 grand. And someone will be like, oh, 10 years ago, I was selling properties like that for six. Uh, God, we should have bought more of them, right? So that is the most common thing. And and he had some really wise words. I, I used to do nationwide coaching and I was with a client in, uh, just outside of San Francisco, San Jose. And this old timer was sitting at this meetup group or RIA group and he was, and people asked him about buying rentals and what discount he should buy them at. And this guy kind of took a long pause. And he looked at him, he's like, you know, it doesn't matter to me what the equity percent is. I just want to know that it cash flows. Like he was like, well, I don't understand. Everybody says to buy at 70 cents on the dollar. And he said, listen, if you're buying rentals, as long as you have a fixed um, interest rate, you know, whether you're buying from a bank or you're buying from a, from a seller, over time that rent is going to rise and that spread that you're getting every month is is going to go up and up and up. So if you buy it with a, an acceptable monthly cash flow, so whether like my number's 200, maybe your number's 400, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, right? Because so let's say, you know, my mortgage payment is 400 a month and I'm renting it at 600. Um let's just let's just yeah, PITI everything, right? 400 so I'm going to have $200 in cash flow, right? And so if the market takes a little dip and I have to go down $50, I'm still good, right? Cuz those dips are usually pretty short. But over time, and I've done this cuz I've owned properties for 12 years now, yeah, you know, that $200 is going to go to 400, 600, 800. So over time, it's not going to matter. Real estate is and with inflation you know, buy it, buy in today, lock those rates in or that price, that long-term price, and you'll get that, that appreciation from the rental and the tenants are going to pay that off. And that's just, you know, equity and long-term wealth that you're building.
1: Sure. And then lastly, is there a question you wished I would have asked you here today?
2: Oh, oh, that's good question for me. Um, so here's another important thing that I'm a pretty big believer in. I'm not sure how the question would have been worded, but, um, one mistake that I see a lot of people make, um, aside from just quitting too soon, right? That's that's easy. Uh, I tell people I was just too dumb to quit and that's why we are successful. But um, so being an investor is hard, right? People, if you're just starting getting invested and investing and sitting at your house and you're at the kitchen table and you're trying to do this and you're you're reviewing properties and you're doing underwriting, you're doing marketing, you're doing all these things, um, it can feel like you're a man or woman alone on an island, right? You just really can feel... Being an entrepreneur can be very isolating. Um, so I always tell people like, join a RIA, join a meetup group, right? If there isn't one, start one. Like right? I posted a post last night, Chattanooga. Let's all go to Panera tomorrow morning and have breakfast. Ten people showed up, right? And we just talked about real estate. So get around that campfire, around other people that are doing the business, and be inspired by that. Right? Don't feel, you know, envy that. Oh, somebody else did more deals than me. Um, just be around those people that are doing deals, and, and it doesn't feel as as lonely and, and as isolating. And it's you know, you should be inspired by the people's success. So um, get a tribe, get a, get a bunch of people that you can be friends with. You can all kind of do this journey together. Makes it a lot easier.
1: Yep. No, I I appreciate that. Uh, that was a great way to end this. Um, again, uh, check out David Olds REI on all the socials. And uh, you're always welcome back. I hope you'll uh, take me up on that invitation. And uh, we'll we'll chat again sometime very soon.
2: Perfect. Thank you so much for having me.
0: This has been the REI Mastermind Network. You can already tell that we've made some changes and a few more are on the way. If you are interested in what we have planned, head over to patreon.com slash REI Mastermind and support the show today. Financial contributions are always appreciated along with a like, share, and review. It really helps us grow and reach more people with this valuable information. See you next time, and tell a friend.